If you're a fan of the 430 movie, you'll love Best Movies Never Made, hosted by myself, Josh Miller. And Steven Scarlatta. Where we explore some of the greatest movies never made, like E.T. 2. Johnny Quest. Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. And Halloween 3D. New episodes available every other Monday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, this is not really Gene Roddenberry, but uh, if it were, uh, I would urge you to uh, listen and watch the Inglorious Trexperts, because uh, who knows, maybe it'll uh, bring in more income. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and if you're a fan of the only gentleman secret agent with a license to kill and thrill, you should pick up my new James Bond oral history, Nobody Does It Better, available now in hardcover, audio, and digital wherever books are sold. Do you expect me to read? No, I expect you to buy it. Hello, this is Mark A. Altman. And welcome to Father's Day week. Yes, we're back for a very special episode for Father's Day. And I have your favorite, I am your father's, um, that was a stretch, here for the 4.30 movie. But I'm a little out of, I'm a little rusty. We haven't done this in a while. So I want to bring to you Stephen Monday Melching. Hello, Steve. Hey there, Daddy O's. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Tuesday, it's Darren Doctorman. I got nothing but happy Tuesday. Wednesday, it's Wacky Ashley Miller. Who's your daddy? And Thursday, it's me, Mark K. Altman. And Friday, it's all of us. And all of in us. case you, all of us, in case you haven't uh, listened to the show in a while, remember this is the show where we curate a fantasy theme week of classic films. And apparently, I was reading on Facebook today that a film critic said something about uh, we don't need to pay attention to movies before 1990, or what was it, Steve? 2000. 2000. Oh, excuse me. I stand corrected. Well, apparently, there's no movies worth seeing before the year 2000, it according to It would seem to me to that we genius. don't need to pay attention to critics who say that. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, well, I would agree with that completely. I, I believe the criticism was that it's elitist to expect a modern critic to be uh, aware of films before 2000. Yeah, well. And should be minimally my, educated. Right, got it. My, my response to that uh, would push us into the explicit category on Apple, so I'm not gonna respond to that, but uh, that offends me to the very core of my being. Yeah. Um, you know. On the it, other look, hand, I, it's, someone is stupid on the internet. Film at 11. Yeah, I know, but is, I don't know who said this, but apparently it's actually a working film critic said this, or is it just some? Look, there it's are a working no working film, film, critic. film critics. That's the thing. Yeah, that's true. They're, they're all they're dead. Gone. All the great critics are dead. I, I believe it was a, a working film critic, but you know, a, you know, on a, a blog or a, a website or something, and yeah. apparently felt it's not incumbent upon them to educate themselves uh, yeah. for the films older than twenty years. Well, well good for that's, them. That's, that's amazing. I mean, because I, I remember not so long ago us doing a show about great movies of the millennium, movies made since the year 2000, and that was a struggle. That was a struggle <laughs> to come up with like 10. That was not an easy show to do. <laughs> How many of those are there? Well, 
Not a lot. Kids not these lot. days. Kids these days are kind of stupid. But hey, that's okay. That's not our fault. I, I mean, I, right. I understand, you know, looking, if you're a younger person, older films feel, you know, they feel old fashioned. They feel stale. They feel, they don't feel vibrant. They don't feel meaningful to them. But, you know, there's a great world of things to discover, you know, looking at older films. And, but look, the problem is that no one felt like that before it, when we were mm -hmm. growing up. Okay. That's right. We were exposed to and saw a whole ton of movies and other things that came way before we were born. Okay. So that's not our problem. Okay. Our problem is that people don't stretch themselves to have a background of knowledge about this stuff. And hopefully, this show is something that can help people establish that background uh, just a tiny little bit. Yeah, and well, I and, certainly and don't know. Go ahead, Steve. Well, we live in an era where it's easier than ever yeah. to watch. All of film history is available to you uh, on, on short notice, and you can take advantage of that. You know, when, when, we, when we were young people growing up, we kind of had to take what was given to us. That's correct. And we liked it. No, um, but you know, there's no excuse to you know you you can curate your own film experience to such a degree that you can watch only films from the last ten or twenty years, and and that's, yeah. I guess, good enough. I don't know. But look, this is just you know how the the concept of the critic has been debased, right? Yeah. We now, um, when we talk about film critics or whatever, we're talking about people whose job it is just to review films, right? They're film reviewers. They're not truly critics. A good critic has some interest in the history of the form and has some knowledge of it and yeah. brings that knowledge to bear when doing some sort of analysis or critique uh, of the film in question. I, I don't know how you can call yourself a film lover and say, yeah, the world begins in the year 2000. It doesn't mean that you have to spend all day talking about the movies of, say, 1989. Um, or 1981, or or whatever it is that you want to do, but it, it does mean that it is somewhat incumbent, incumbent upon you if you present yourself as an expert to know what the F you're talking about. My my 10-year-old kid shouldn't have a, a better grasp of the history of film um, than someone who is actually paid to review films. Right. You know, there's a sense of... You know, there's this egalitarian sense now because of social media that everyone's opinion is worthwhile. Right. And I'm here to tell you it's not. Right. I'm not interested in people. You know, I love it. You know, when you read these things like on Deadline or or any of these things, it's like, what do you think? Let us know. Yeah. I don't give a shit what you think if you're not knowledgeable. I don't care. I don't care what you're seeing this weekend. I don't care what movies you think are good. And you know we why? Just moved you're into not the explicit category again. <laughs> you're not qualified. <laughs> you don't know. You're not knowledgeable. I don't care. And if this and all sounds like nuts. a big parental lecture, welcome to Father's Day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So welcome. In my yeah, day, yes. we had to walk to it's the movie part of the theater <laughs> three miles in the snow, uphill both ways. We paid for it in pennies that we yeah. counted out of our pockets. I just think everyone thinks they're a freaking expert on the movies, right? And they're not. You know what? You can love movies; it doesn't mean you're an expert. You could love correct. going to the movies. You could love seeing movies. You know, look, and anyone can become an expert. Right. This isn't about going to an expensive film school, as you guys can attest. It's it's about um, watching, and you said it yourself. It's never been easier 
to watch the classic films, yeah. the great films. They're all available, you know, except for Gone with the Wind, which apparently is now it, no it'll longer be back. in vogue. It'll be back. No, no, it's going to be back. And, and look, I, I, you know, obviously, I don't think HBO Max handled that brilliantly. But at the same time, there's nothing wrong with uh, providing context for these movies um, as long as they're, you know, continue to be available. I don't know around to triumph for the will talking about you know why uh oh that's a hell of a time to okay let's lose uh, mark let's let's not stop recording because then we'll lose our <laughs> yes we will so so we're just gonna keep I, on I there got, you go okay there's i got so worked up my zoom died oh my on goodness. me okay i guess they don't care what i have to say so anyway um father's day what you know what I, I can't believe I got so angry on Father's Day because my father never got mad at me. I, I got along so well with my dad. I can't even think of any times where we had fights. My mother, on the other hand. So anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, but she took you to the hunger, dude. So She took me to the hunger. She did. She she she, she had to be the discipline. She got you into Star Trek the motion picture. She lo- oh, By the way, what did your mothers think of our Mother's Day episode? My mom what thought was it was a lot of fun, and she was very happy to hear it. So she yeah. says thank you, by the way. Oh, great. Well, it was her idea, and we thank yeah. her. What about you, Ashley? Did did you uh, convey to your mother what uh, what we did? did she I did. To it? I'm not sure she 100%, she 100% understands <laughs> what it was that we did, but I think that she was very excited to participate. Right. How about you, Steve? Yeah, I, I was kind of surprised. I, I mentioned to my mom that we had done the episode. She says, oh, yeah, I listened to it. Like, oh, you did? Really? <laughs> no, she enjoyed my, it. My mother was insulted that I didn't ask her. She said, all the other guys, they asked their mothers. I said, you, you just guessed. I said, well, I thought you would be impressed how well I know you. She says, well, you didn't mention um, friendly persuasion. I said, yeah, that's true. I should have mentioned that. You didn't mention Pan's Labyrinth. And I'm like, what? wait a second. Pan's <laughs> Labyrinth? That's one of your favorite movies of all time? She goes, yes. And I'm like, you're right. I didn't, I wouldn't have had no idea. So I'm, I said, and, and she, she gave me this litany of movies. And I'm like, okay, maybe I should have asked you. But I think she liked it. She enjoyed Good. it. So I'm glad. And, uh, and and I'm glad that we're here to do Father's Day. Because as as much as our mothers were a huge influence on our movie going, uh, you know, I'm curious, uh, were your father's cinephiles? Were they people that helped uh, uh, get you passionate about movies? Oh, you, you'll find out when we get to Tuesday. Oh, okay. <laughs> what about you, Steve? What about you? You know, your dad, um, I, he, I a big uh, movie guy? Interestingly, um, you know, we didn't see a lot of movies. We didn't go out to the movies a lot growing when, when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s. Um, but my dad was probably the bigger movie lover because I have I have memories of going to the movies with him. He took me to see The Land mm-hmm. of Time Forgot. He took me to see Batman 66. He took me to see, you know, Laurel and Hardy movies. Um, and we went as a family to see Star Wars, the first Star Wars. And he took me to see Alien, of all things. Wow. And uh, he even once, when I needed a ride, drove me to see Return of the Jedi. He didn't sit with me, but I still remember vividly about halfway through the movie when they're in the Ewok village, I hear this snoring coming from the theater. (laughs) And I turned around, and there he was, sawing some logs a few rows back in the middle of Return of the Jedi. It's hilarious. Wow. My, My father was, I think, more of a film lover when I was growing up. But oddly enough, my mom is a huge 
moviegoer now. I think my, my dad watches a lot of movies now, but it's all stuff on streaming and stuff. Whereas my mother will go out, out to the theater and see all the new releases. He wasn't celebrating the love, your dad. No. Right. I thought you were going to say you turned there. around and it was Richard Marquand snoring. <laughs> no, no, I don't no. Know they Richard weren't Marquand on set. Was... They were watching it. Oh, oh. Right. I don't know if Richard Marquand ever saw that movie, but it was me watching I the needle i think i fell asleep watching eye of the needle so anyway uh ashley what about you oh yeah man uh, my dad loves the movies um and uh you know i re it's funny because you know i was a very sensitive kid so i didn't get to go see alien in the theater when i was six years old um but uh you know my uh, my dad was constantly taking my brother to the movies he would take me when it was appropriate i remember going to see black hole and tron and star wars and superman and superman 2 and star trek and all of the you name it like if it was cool and it you know made sense for me to go see it dad took me um you know he's the one who introduced me uh to the oeuvre of uh, of clint eastwood and not just his um his mammoth no name films, but I you know all of his World War II films. Um, like I, you know, have very fond memories of you know watching Kelly's Heroes with my dad uh, several times. Uh, so yeah, a, a lot of my my love of movies uh, comes from comes from him. Nice. No, that that's 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 great. You know, um, boy, I'll tell you, my my father was great about uh, my my love of this stuff because, you know, I remember one time I threw a fit that I I wanted to, it was like a Sunday afternoon I desperately wanted to go to Forbidden Planet in Manhattan and uh, I just was like adamant and here we are like forty minutes away in Brooklyn and he was just like, okay, fine. And we drove into the city and we went to Forbidden Planet. So he was always really good about indulging my my vices, so to speak. But I, you know, it's funny because. Uh, both my parents were kind of um, strict about like I never saw Alien in a theater because they wouldn't let me see an R-rated movie at, right. at, in 79 and even Jaws I didn't see till many years later they wouldn't let me see I remember like something like Animal House I didn't get to see until I was babysitting and the people I was babysitting for had it and so when the kids went to sleep I watched Animal House for the first time like this movie is great right. I think it was the same thing with 10 you know but uh, but I um, uh, but so they were both pretty much on the same. That may be the only thing they were on the same page about, but they were on the same page about <laughs> not letting us watch, you know, these, these movies. But, it, you know, it just made me want to see those movies that much more. By the way, know, 10 is older. another movie that should go on the list of movies not to watch with your mom week. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. But that I did not see with my mom, you know, just the hunger. Good. But uh, which he never gets tired of hearing that story. And. Uh, nor, nor the Star Trek, the motion picture story, which he still is like, I didn't hate it that much. It's like, yes, you did. Yes, you did. So um, anyway, so the idea is, you know, obviously in the case of Ashley and Steve, they were actually able to speak with their dad. I presume you talk to your fathers about um, mm -hmm. what movie they want to pick. So we'll be uh, going with their selections. In the case of uh, Darren and myself, uh, we'll have to sort of, um, you know, based we're on gonna, our own We're going to vamp knowledge. a little bit about uh, what what might yeah. be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what they would have picked yeah. if uh, they were they were still we were fortunate enough to still have them with us. Although I think we're both we're very close with our dads. I have a feeling that we'll be very much in the ballpark. Yeah. So uh, let's start on Monday with Steve Melching and his dad's pick for Father's Day week. 
Yeah, so I when I, I asked my dad to send me, a, you know, a, a, a list of some of his favorite movies. I didn't expect to get such an expansive list. <laughs> he sent me almost 20 titles. And oddly enough, the movie I was sure was going to be at the top of his list wasn't on the list at all, hmm. which, was, which was unusual. Hmm. I could tell you what that movie is now, or I could, I could hold off. Oh, no, tell us. I, I must know. I thought for sure my dad's favorite movie was going to be Dances with Wolves. Because uh, mm, okay. he is obsessed with that movie. I think I bought it for him on Laserdisc. Mm. And I think I bought it for him on DVD. And uh, I gave him the soundtrack CD for it. And, um, you know, because he's a huge fan of Westerns and, um, and and that whole, you know, culture and 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 history and all that so he was absolutely taken with that film when it came out and obsessed with it ever since but it didn't make his list right um i think that's going to be a recurring theme westerns yeah throughout yeah, this so, show so it's I, something about dads and westerns he, yeah you know. so what i think and and i fear i may have uh i may once again have uh stolen mark's pick but uh <laughs> the pick that my dad had at the top of his list was probably the, the the fatheriest Father's Day father film oh, you can pick, and um, it's it's a classic in the genre that uh, that I love and just happened to watch myself a couple a few weeks ago randomly, and um, uh, it is uh, a film that's probably a favorite of a lot of men of this generation. You know, men who grew up in the in the forties and fifties and 60s it's i think it really struck a chord and of course I'm, I'm talking about john sturgis's the magnificent seven sure <laughs> you suck magnificent bastard oh <laughs> my pick. Was it that's okay yeah of course it was i mean you know uh yeah it was i mean i mean it was it was so funny i i on on chrismica i got my first vhs of the magnificent seven from my dad it was something that we always watched when it was on Channel 5 in New York. A very special film for us. But, you know, so I'm not too... Uh, go ahead, tell us about why the film is your dad's pick. Brenner, McQueen, Colburn, Vaughn, Brunson, Buckholtz, Dexter, The Magnificent Seven. wish you to help us. There's this man, Calvera. A thief. A murderer. He and his men, they steal our food. And then they leave us to starve. And he will do so until he is stopped. Even five won't give us too much trouble. There won't be any trouble. Just ride on. Ride on? I'm going into the hills for the winter. Where am I going to get the food for my men? Buy it or grow it. Or maybe even work for it. Somehow I don't think you solved my problem. We deal in lead, friend. Solving your problems isn't that a lot. Guns, ammunition. You know how much money that costs? He had a town at his mercy. And the Magnificent Seven at his throat. Seven who fought like 700, the Magnificent Seven. 
I, he just, he loves, he's a huge fan of Westerns. You know, he loves the spaghetti Westerns. He, he loves all kinds of Westerns. He sent me a list of other Westerns that he loves too, like Monty Walsh and Open Range. Uh, we talked about Open Range uh, on the show uh, 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 recently. Christmas, uh, for Christmas. For, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it was a Christmas pick. I think I gave you for the hit Secret Santa. So You did? Um, it's He loves it because it's so he he loves the, the 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 sort of realistic feel of it the location photography in mexico and how can you not love that cast you know it's a cast of icons with yul brenner and steve mcqueen and charles bronson robert vaughn james coburn and then the great you know horace buckholz and brad uh, dexter and then eli wallach as you know the leader of the the bandit gang and of course, everyone knows this movie. It's it's famously the the Western adaptation of Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai, um, and uh, you know, uh, it, oddly enough, uh, it, interestingly, I, I I just learned this. I didn't realize this that um, uh, John Sturgis really wanted Steve McQueen for that role, but uh, Dick Powell, the the actor singer who was also a producer and was producing. Uh, uh, wanted dead or alive with steve mcqueen and wouldn't let mcqueen out of his contract for the tv show so mcqueen faked a car accident and claimed he had whiplash needed to recover and then snuck out of the country to film uh oh, film the film make in mexico <laughs> that's great um and famously there was a lot of uh you know clashing of egos on the set between brenner and mcqueen uh, trying to upstage each other i think mcqueen was upset that he didn't get very much dialogue in the film so he was always doing little bits of business to upstage yep. old brenner and the famous the famous thing is in the uh when they're going up uh, to take the hearse up to boot hill and uh he's taking off his hat he's playing with his hat he's fiddling with his gun and and yul brenner is just they're stiff as a board dominating the screen and mcqueen is doing anything he can do to get you know some action for himself and it's funny because these actors, you know, a lot of them weren't, you know, this this film is 1960, so um, you know, they weren't all huge stars yet at this point. And and crazy enough, for as as entertaining as this movie was, and and of course it has that iconic score by Elmer Bernstein that is so hummable and is just one of the all time great Western themes. The movie was not a success in this country you know it was it was it was a disappointment at the box office and it didn't get good reviews either but it was a huge hit in europe and, mm. and the soviet union because you know with yul brenner being uh, a russian mm. uh and uh, so it did great overseas and, it, and it's one of those films that has since cemented its place as one of the you know the most iconic most beloved westerns of all time uh even though it's one of those that took a while to to get there mm. But I, Were you I, with me at Telluride when we saw Far Away So Close? No. The sequel to Wings of Desire? Because Horace Buckholz was in that. Oh. And I remember being so excited. I said, I have not seen Horace Buckholz in anything <laughs> since, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Magnuson 7. I mean, it was he was kind of a joke, you know, right? Because they all became superstars. Like, Except, you know, McQueen and Charles Bronson and James Coburn and you know robert vaughn and then there's horse buckles who couldn't get arrested no one gave two f's for horst <laughs> <laughs> and of course eli wallach that great mexican actor sure <laughs> he's so good in the movie yeah. you know i mean you know like you never cast a, a jew from brooklyn as a as a, a mexican bandito 
uh, <laughs> today. Uh, uh, but um, man, is he good? Yeah. As as you know, he's so good as Calvera. That's it. And I, I always think of that Cheers episode when they're all all the men in the bar humming the theme to Magnificent Seven. It's this whole thing where they, you know, Sam and Cliff and and uh, and Norm would get together to watch the Magnificent Seven. Uh, it's just one of those movies that that brings together men of a certain generation. And, um, you know, I think we're part of members of that second generation that that came to it through our fathers. Right. Um, because it was one of their favorite films and they wanted to share it with us. And, you know, I, I always appreciate that. And, and uh, it's, it's a film that I've come to love dearly as well. And it's funny, as good as The Magnificent Seven is, the sequels are all terrible. I don't know if you've seen Return of the Seven and Guns of Magnificent Seven and The Magnificent Seven Ride, you know, and, and after Yul Brenner comes back in, in, in Return of the Seven, you have George Kennedy right. and Lee Van Cleef and none of them hold a can. And I love them in other roles, but none of them hold a candle to Yul Brenner, you know, Brenner in um, uh, Magnificent Seven. But of I mean, course, the, the prequels, Magnificent One through Magnificent Six, right. are all just awful, <laughs> unwatchable. You know what I watched for the first time? Um, I can't believe I never seen it. Battle Beyond the Stars. Oh yeah. How have you never seen that? Sorry, I, I don't know. Speaking I literally of Magnificent realized. Seven. I think, well, that's what that's yeah. why I'm making the point because, of course, it's an uh, you know, uh, uh, it, John Sales wrote it and it's a huge ripoff and uh, uh, and it makes no bones about yeah. it of Magnificent Seven. It's Magnificent Seven in space, and, and I don't know it, 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 that movie had my name written all over it. It's like I don't know, and I seen the, you know I knew the trailer. I knew I knew the movie backwards and forth, but I'd never seen it. Wow. You know, I think because it never played theatrically in Brooklyn, right? And then for whatever reason, I just never saw it and uh, i was always obsessed with the movie and i finally watched it recently <laughs> shout factory did a really nice uh, blu-ray and it's awful it's, it's really terrible. awful yeah. but yeah yeah but it has it has its heart in the right place yeah yes. i would agree with that yeah. i would agree that was but my, it's awful that was my very first pick for this show i think for yes. sci-fi week yeah no in the shadow of star wars yeah week. shadow of star wars week yep Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right that's right. That was that was a, that was a fun week back back in the day. So, Steve, that, w w why do you think your dad loved that movie so much? Why do you think he picked that movie? I, I it's the characters are so lively. It's got such a great sense of humor to it. It's got a great uh, you know human story with these oppressed villagers and these 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 you know random these gunslingers that come together maybe initially out of a, a sense of, of greed or desperation and end up feeling a, a duty to this town and mm -hmm. to save it. And um, I, I think it just, it speaks to him on all those levels. He loves music. So I know he loves the score um, and he loves, you know, gunfighting and gunplay. And, you know, he's one of those, he's one of those dads that can, watch a Western and, and say like, well, you know, I like the movie, but you know, the Navy cult model wasn't uh, in service until 1886 and nice. this is 1875. So, you know, <laughs> points nice. deducted for that. You know, he, he can identify every firearm or every, you know, every bit of, uh, you know, historical uh, inaccuracy in, in a movie like this. Um, yeah, so. but Steve, um, any firearm that was developed before the year 2000 just doesn't matter. It's all the same. <laughs> 
You know, it's funny. It also has that original Han Solo moment because there's that great scene, you know, where they all get thrown out of town. And despite the fact, you know, that it's, it's, you know, desperate and it's impossible to win. They, you know, they decide to go back because it's the right thing to do. You know, these mercenaries, these assassins, you know, they're basically more ethical than anyone. And they decide to go back. And then Brad Dexter decides he's not going to go back with them. And at the last second, he comes in like Han Solo on his horse you know, and I'll get you out of there, Chris. And it's so great. So great. I, I, I just, I love that movie. I, always I love it. That, that quiet scene with Robert Vaughn with the, the flies on the table and he scoops them up in his hand and opens up his hand. He's like, you know, there was a time when I would have caught all three. I'm like, oh my God, I love that. Oh man. Right, <laughs> it's right before he started using the Helsinki formula. That's a, that's a deep cut. He used to do TV commercials for this Helsinki formula, which is like a hair <laughs> restoration thing. <laughs> that is a deep. That is a deep cut. It's but funny I feel like because that's a obviously, spy movie with Laurence Olivier. What's the... yeah? <laughs> <laughs> Len Dayton's the Helsinki <laughs> formula. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Next on the fourth third movie, movies that don't exist but should. <laughs> I think we got to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God! Let's let's totally do that. Because you know we weren't sure. Remember, for like six months, we weren't sure if we should do Spoiler Week, and we were going back and forth and vacillating. And then we did it, and everyone loved it. Everyone just loves Spoiler Week. So it's like when we come up with these ridiculous ideas, we should actually just go maybe, with our maybe when go we, with your heart. Look in your heart. Maybe when we go back into the studio, we can do that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. We're back in the studio when this hi- mad hiatus is over, yes. both of the show and of life. Yes. Um, okay. So that's Monday, Monday, the Magnificent Seven, Steve Melching and his dad. Um, fantastic pick. On strong <laughs> on Monday. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Machismo, testosterone, you know, it's just, it's just great. So, okay. So Tuesday, Darren Dodge. Tuesday. Um, this is going to be a little rambling, and it's going to have uh, bits of stories that you've probably heard before, but they're necessary. Um, my dad grew up in a small town in uh, Illinois, uh, a very small town. Uh, it was a, uh, a railroad town. My grandfather worked for the railroad, but he also had, my grandfather had, a job as usher at the local one-screen movie house on the main street in downtown. And so my dad, when he was growing up in the 30s and the 40s, got to see movies for free all the time. And he became a huge movie fan, and he loved movies, and he transferred that love to me as I was growing up. Um, one, of the, one of the annoying things that, that came out of this was that he had absolutely no composure about walking into a movie as it was still going, you know, and, and sitting through the last half and then watching through again from the beginning uh, through the next show. We did this often when I was growing up. It was the most annoying thing uh, that I uh, experienced growing up. Uh, I remember specifically walking into Superman 2, seeing the uh, Kryptonian villains uh, flying into the window of the uh, Daily Planet and starting to talk with Lex Luthor. And I'm going, what's going on? Everything is everything. We're missing the whole setup. Didn't matter. We sat through the end and watched it through again until, you know, the moment where, oh, that's where this came in. 
and then we we sat through the end. So <laughs> he had absolutely no composure about uh, uh, ruining the uh, the uh, the telling of the story. It was just a commodity to him. So, well, and, and, he, but I think in a lot of ways, wasn't that you know in the earlier days of film, they would just run the films over yeah. and over, and you just pay your admission and go in, and that yeah. was common, I think. Yeah. Well, because it came from the old Nickelodeons, where it was automatic on a loop, and they kept running and running and running. Well, and they're running the newsreel, and they were sure. running the this, this thing, and basically you went for the air conditioning. Right. You know, you go to the theater, and then you sit there yeah. all day. It was and, just and, a thing uh, to do. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, but with with this constant, you know, watching movies and uh, the 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 serials, the Saturday morning serials, and all that, he developed a love for movies and. Um, whenever these movies would show up on TV, he would turn them on and he would say, hey, you might like this. And so we would watch them sometimes on the 4.30 movie, sometimes on Saturday mornings. And um, he would also take me to movies in the theater. And uh, he, he took me to a, uh, a re-release of uh, Wizard of Oz in a theater. We sat really close up. Everything was huge. I was scared to death. And it was great. Um, uh, a couple years later, he took me to 2001, A Space Odyssey, in New York City, in a huge theater. I was, uh, I think, six or seven years old, and it blew my mind and scared the crap out of me. And that was great, too. And he would take me to all these movies. He would introduce me to movies that he had seen when he was growing up, that he had loved. And he just shared all of this with me. One of the problems I'm having picking a movie that he loved is because I've already picked them. All the movies that I love, he loved too. And this went on through, uh, through my adult life, and we would talk about movies and talk about new stuff that came out, um, up until, you know, he developed Alzheimer's, and he, his brain started to go, and that was the most tragic thing because he had left. And I couldn't talk about this stuff with him anymore. However, there was one movie that he would see on TV during his, during his sickness that he responded to. I don't know why, I don't know how, but he did. And he would, he would quote this movie, he would, he would uh, talk about it, he would um, uh, mention it occasionally. And it was Castaway with Tom Hanks. I don't know why. I don't know what it was that connected to him in his, uh, in his uh, um, declined state, but he responded to it. Maybe it was, the, maybe it was Tom Hanks' performance, his energy, uh, you know, the, the volleyball. I don't know, but it was fascinating. And he really loved it. Every time it was on, he would, st he would you know, stop and watch it. And so I'm, I'm just thinking that this was a little bit of some kind of energy that spoke to him still, even when his, uh, his faculties were leaving and when he was, he was mostly gone personality-wise. But it was still a little glimmer of him. So, you know, I have to say that as odd as it sounds, that I gotta, I gotta say that because that was sort of like the last connection that he had to this, uh, you know, the world of movies, and it, it still lived while he was mostly gone. So, I'm gonna say uh, uh, Castaway with uh, Tom Hanks.
I got a gift for you. Oh, my. My granddaddy used it on the Southern Pacific. I'm always going to keep this on Memphis time. Merry Christmas. I love you. I love you, too. I'll be right back. Hey, is all this turbulence from Santa and those eight tiny reindeer? Better buckle up, Chuck. It's going to get bumpy. think that I am right here. 100 miles squared. That's a search area of 500,000 square miles. That's twice the size of Texas. From the Academy Award-winning director of Forrest Gump. We live and we die by time, don't we? Tom Hanks. You wouldn't have a match. Any chance, would you? At the edge of the world. <laughs> the end of a man's journey will become the beginning of his life. I would rather take my chance out there on the ocean than to stay here and die. Hold on! You were lost for four years. We had a funeral, coffin. What was in it? For Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I, you know, I wonder, I wonder if also the whole idea of sort of being stranded alone and, and not being, having that's, anyone to communicate that with. That certainly is... could have something to do with it. Uh, the, the feeling of being disconnected. Because mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I, I, I knew he was still in there. Mostly. I don't know. It's, it's one of those big mysteries that I hope I never really know the answer to. Sure. If you know what I mean. But, um, yeah, but. But it's, wow. it's fascinating. It's a, it's a great choice, obviously, a meaningful choice. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a, you know, a very fine choice. What were you Tuesday, saying, Ashley? I was just going to say, it, it's also, um, you know, Tom Hanks in that movie is the whole, to me, the whole point of the, of the volleyball of Wilson is he is desperately trying to connect and to hold on to something. And um, Walter Parks told me a story about uh, the, the testing process for that film. Mm -hmm. They did some reshoots on the end. And they right. initially tested it. It didn't do very well. Um, but after they added, you know, his speech, which I, I cannot recite right now, but it's basically about how he, how he was not alone when he was on right. the island. Right. Um, once they added that, like, the testing went like just through the stratosphere. It, complete, it didn't change anything else. It was that. Yeah. Um, that that admission of, you know, when I was alone on that island, my memory of um, of love was the thing that kept me going. Right. Um, that memory of, of having connected, and I think that's very powerful. Yeah. And you know, again, while this was you know sort of his his uh, last uh, expression of that kind of uh, uh, enjoyment. Um, I'm so glad that he had time to see me working in the industry 
and uh, knowing that I was, uh, you know, carrying that on in some form. And I'm so grateful for that. And I'm so grateful that his love of movies sort of, uh, you know, influenced me so much that I that I uh, went out and wanted to do it. So, yeah, that's Tuesday for me. It's a, a great pick for obvious reasons. So, Ashley, that brings us to Wednesday and your dad's pick um, for Wednesday. And I will see if the apple falls far from the tree, won't we? <laughs> Uh, you know what? Cloak the, and dagger it is. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the the apple apparently fell like several several yards away. A <laughs> couple bushels over. A couple couple bushels over. Um, you know, we joked when we were we were planning this or we were talking about this when we were recording the Mother's Day episode that uh, yeah, we're gonna do Father's Day week, or as we would like to call it, you know, World War Two week. <laughs> Again, well, guess what? It's, if it were up to my dad, it would be World War II week again on the on the four thirty movie. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've thought a lot. He sent me a, a couple of his of his picks, one of which actually is is fairly recent and not World War II. Um, but I, I I am going to select something that I know we've talked about before on this show um, because I think it's meaningful that it was the first thing that was on his list. Um, and I think it also speaks to something else that I know about him. I'll, I'll preface this by saying, again, as I as I mentioned earlier, my dad took me to a lot of movies. We watched a lot of movies together, you know, on Sundays, you know, right. and on the weekends. And, you know, that was largely how we experienced Bond yeah. uh, together. And, um, you know, I have I have these great fond memories of, of all of that. But that man loved him movies about racing. Uh, and he loved movies about world war ii and the movie that uh that he has he has picked that i said again i i know um that we've talked about before here uh is 1970s Patton. yep uh yep. with george c scott and the inimitable carl malden um that was another yeah, one look, that my dad's picked by the way i want you to remember that no bastard ever won war by dying for his country. He won it by making the other poor dumb bastard die for his country. Men, all this stuff you've heard about America not wanting to fight, wanting to stay out of the war, is a lot of horse dung. Americans traditionally love to fight. All real Americans love the sting of battle. When you were kids, you all admired the champion marble shooter, the fastest runner, big league ball players, the toughest boxers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. Americans play to win all the time. I wouldn't give a hoot in hell for a man who lost and laughed. That's why Americans have never lost and will never lose a war. Because the very thought of losing is hateful to Americans. Yeah. Right? Yeah. See? Um, no, look, Patton is a great film, man. There's no question about it. He is just, and it's a great film because he is a, a larger-than-life 
tremendous character, um, and the portrayal by George C. Scott has both like this 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 weight to it, but also this feral quality. It's mythic. Uh, it is totally mythic. Yeah. And my I asked my dad um, to uh, to give me some some words on what it was he liked about the movie. And mainly, he told me what he liked about General Patton. <laughs> so here's my dad's text Patton was a super great general who refused to put up with political bullshit the GIs loved him because they knew he cared about them he related to them he did his job and didn't kiss ass there's my dad okay that's, that's the words from the man himself that's awesome um, you know it's something that uh, that I was I was kind of thinking about uh, in the, the context of, of all of this is you know what we you know what we bring to the movies that we watch, right? I was thinking about this as we were we were talking about your dad and, and Castaway, um, Darren. And you know, my dad was uh, he was in the army, um, army officer, uh, retired um, in 1981. Um, but you know, one of my my strongest memories, and I talked about this a, a little bit, I think, um, uh, on our second uh, you know war week. Uh, I think uh, it was. Um, what were we watching? All of a sudden, I'm like, I'm blanking. Uh, it, it doesn't matter. Uncommon Valor, thank you. Mm. We were watching oh, yeah, Uncommon yeah. Valor. Yeah. And my dad, like, for the first time, you know, opened up to me about some of his experiences uh, in Vietnam. Um, you know, about, uh, you know, being at this uh, this post that was just a couple miles off the uh, the border with North Vietnam and, and, uh, and taking off... Um, getting out of there just a, a couple of weeks before Tet. Um, he told me about, uh, and the fact that it, it, it didn't go well at that little, mm -hmm. that little operating base. Um, you know, he told me about being a survivor assistance officer, uh, which if you don't know what that means, uh, his job when he came back was to go to families and tell them, we're sorry, right. uh, your son is dead. We're sorry your, your son is, is missing in action. We're sorry your son is a prisoner of war. Um, and, you know, when he would talk about that, it was, um, you know, look, we're dads, right? We try not to, to show any emotion to our children other than being amusing and, you know, you know, uh, you know, accessible and, and all that other stuff. We're dad. We're doing dad things, right? And that was the first time that I really remember him getting choked up yeah. about that. Um, so, you know, when he tells me that, that Patton is his favorite movie and that's his pick for Wednesday, um, he comes by that honestly. And, uh, and, I, and I take him seriously in that. Um, and again, it's, it is difficult to argue with it as a pick, even on its face. Right. No, it's a, it's a good one, and uh, people usually have to stop me from starting in with the whole opening speech because it's so <laughs> freaking great. Uh, uh, and yeah, it's just it's just I'm not going to do it. I, I was thinking of doing it. I'm not going to do it. Come on, <laughs> come on! You know you want come to. Come on, you magnificent bastard! Come on! <laughs> I want you to remember. That no bastard ever won a war by dying for his country. He won it by making the other poor dumb bastard die for his country. That's all I'm going to do. That's plenty. That's plenty for anyone. Perfect. So if great. only I had my I uh, American movie. flag background. That movie is 
it's you know you mentioned mythic as a as a great descriptor for it and it's it's a film that like takes you on such an incredible journey mm-hmm. with this character through his sort of rise and fall from grace mm-hmm. and then you know return to uh to, to you know to victory mm-hmm. and it's 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 a real epic saga i just love it i should have kissed the son of a bitch <laughs> well aside from just being a huge fan of that movie and of course franklin schaffner yeah. because you know it was his movie after planet of the apes but um also it gave us it gave francis coppola the clout where he you know paramount hired him for the godfather so we owe that movie so much because of course he won the oscar for his rewrite of Patton. right and of course, he was uh, it, he was hired for it first but he was able to wield the clout of having it turned from a contemporary film to a period film. He yeah. was able to get his entire cast because of his Oscar. Be- for of his success yeah. with Patton. And uh, it gave him so much leverage yeah. that he wouldn't have had. You know, he, they always talk, in, and, and Evans, uh, Robert Evans and, and Coppola, you know, talk about, you know, it was Coppola who made it authentic because before then, you you know, you'd have Kirk Douglas playing, you know, the organization, yeah. the you know, syndicate. There, there was no authentic mafia stories. Yeah. And uh, you had uh, Coppola who now had the clout to, to do it and to cast yeah. Al Pacino well, and to it, cast James Conn. I, I was just, I was just listening to uh, Easy Rider's Raging Bulls and they were saying that um, it was, it was, you know, it was winding, winding up to be Ernest Borgnine and uh, Ryan O'Neill. You know, in the film, yeah, yeah, and it would of course have, it would have no been worth, shit. <laughs> they're no worthwhile movies before the year two thousand. That's so correct. I don't know what that's correct. Wait, talking we shouldn't about even these, talk about them these, these, these pieces of shit. <laughs> 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 yeah, well, wow, that's it. That's another. That's another great choice. I mean, Patty you beat Pat. You don't. It's, you it's, don't. It's, Nobody beats Patton. Yeah. That's the point. He reads your book and then he beats you. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, he read um, all of your books, Mark. Right. Well, I'm, I'm glad Rommel read all my books. <laughs> he read, Patton read all of Rommel, you know, it's like... Uh, An oral history of your World book. War II. I read your book, Altman, you magnificent bastard. I'd love that as a blurb on my next book. That would be great. <laughs> yeah, says George S. Patton, you inglorious Trexpert. <laughs> <laughs> That's hysterical. Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, I guess that brings us to Thursday. Thursday. And, you know, obviously Steve threw a little... Uh, um, uh, what a do they monkey say? wrench uh, into the world. Little wrench into the monkey wrench. Monkey wrench. That's for <laughs> wrench sure. Wrench into the monkey. Um, because look, like, Magnificent Seven was the definitive. Like every time it was on. But that said, there's so many other choices. Thankfully, um, you know, I thought about uh, originally. You know, uh, the last movie that I ever saw with my dad in the theater was um, L.A. Confidential. Mm. But I, you know, I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go with that. We both love it. You know, but we both loved it. But um, uh, I, 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 there are movies that are, are, are more meaningful. And, you know, my father was a really interesting guy. Um, and, you know, it's funny because we got along really well, but we didn't have a lot in common in terms of our interests because he was a big sports guy right. and I had no interest in sports. And, you know, he's president of the Little League. And, you know, I have such respect for him because for um, I remember very vividly uh, there was a guy who came from the, the wrong side of the tracks, so to speak, uh, the, uh, this African-American player and a lot of the people in the little league uh were like they they they, they had a problem right mm-hmm. i mean this is the south this is brooklyn and it was really horrifying mm-hmm. and my dad who was president of the little league would go and pick him up he'd drive to the other side of brooklyn 
for every practice and every game and pick him up and bring him to the field and bring him home afterwards. And anybody who tried to tell my dad that the, this kid, this this kid, uh, Mark Griffin, I think it was, couldn't be in this in, in the Little League, he'd basically tell him to fuck off. And it was great. And I have so much respect for that. For everything my dad did that was not great. And, uh, you know, it's just ultimately, like, to me, that's who I remember my dad being. I mean, it was like, it was he was a stand-up guy, uh, you know, when it came to things like that. And I think I took away a lot from... Uh, for, for you know from from him and uh you know we went to the movies he was a huge james bond fan you know so uh, we'd always watch uh you know the abc sunday night movie you know and he'd always tell me before i knew the the lines by heart which ones were the good ones nice. and which ones weren't you know and, and, and uh, let me stay up late to watch them when you know because the bonds would often you know go over sure. something like thunderball would go after 11 o'clock right. you know and and be like okay you, you could stay up it's like you know you gotta you, you haven't seen it you gotta see it at the end of those it's like that's good so um you know i was thinking you know what, what's it gonna be and obviously it's funny when steve said Magnus and seven i said oh i should go with john sturgis at the great escape but i've gone with the great escape before and as much as i love it and there's a new criterion great escape which i highly recommend i have a feeling i'm getting it for father's day um it's uh, i know i asked for it so, <laughs> um so i'm thinking that uh you know i i could go with the great escape is that such a great companion piece to uh um uh Magnus and seven yeah. you know to me a lot of same cast and it's just such a great great movie um but i'm not going to go with that um it kind of comes down to two movies for me and i'll tell you what they are um the first is the Sting mm. with uh, Robert Redford and Paul Newman, sure. a great con movie. And of course, Robert Shaw, Absolutely. Um, everything about the movie won the Oscar for best picture back in, I think, 74, 73, 74. Um, early. And, uh, you know, very iconic score by Marvin Hamlish, uh, the, the famous, uh, you know, the entertainer. I was, you know, huge the mu mu before Star Wars and before Jaws. That was like yeah. the 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 uh, soundtrack album that everyone had. Wasn't it? Um, wasn't it written by David S. Ward? It was written by David Ward, who later went on and did Major League. Yeah. And I um, and I worked with him on uh, Down Periscope. Oh, that's so funny! It's such so a great how the, script. How the mighty. <laughs> yeah, the the dialogue in that movie is so good. Yeah. And, uh, the, you know, it's a movie that's not as well known today, but it's like one of the great pairings. I mean, you see why Redford and Newman, you think and you feel like they did a lot more movies than they did together. And really, you know, there's Butch Cassidy, there's Distinct. I mean, they, they didn't do a ton of movies. Right. And yet, you know, they're as iconic as any of the great, you know, Bogart and but Bacall. But it's, it's definitely and, an, an insurgence of the new Hollywood actors on an old Hollywood movie. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's sort of a, a, a bridge. And it's it's so smart and 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 twisty and uh you know um it, it's it's beautifully shot. You know, it's set in nineteen thirty six during the depression, you know, about these these two grifters looking for the big con. And yet they're so sympathetic, even though they're con men, because right. of course Robert Shaw is so much more lonesome loathsome right. because <laughs> Redford inadvertently hits a, a numbers uh a payoff at the beginning and, and 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 pulls a con on the wrong guy and it has a sort of lethal repercussions for him uh and his friend um but it's, it's just a, a delightful delightful movie um so i was thinking about that but then i suddenly realized after steve 
said Magnuson Seven. The I, I figure okay, I should go with a western. I should go with a western, and I, I it, it came to me like like almost as though my dad was sending me a message. Silverado. Oh, that's interesting. He, we went to see Silverado. I remember at the Kingsway, and you know, up until then, I think we had pretty much watched a lot of westerns on TV, but we'd never seen a western together mm. because they really were few and far between. We might have seen like Pale Rider, which we both were like, "Man, this is a crappy remake of Shane." We both, you know, but but um, but man, when we saw Silverado, we were just giddy. I mean, I remember when John Clee says, "My jurisdiction ends here," <laughs> you know, and for all its flaws. You know, and especially now, Brian Dennehy passed away recently. He's so good yeah. as the villain in that. And, uh, you know, it's a shame because there's all this stuff with Jeff Goldblum and Linda Hunt was cut. Yeah. You know, because the studio didn't have, Columbia didn't have the faith in that movie. And they, they really cut Kaz. In the, but it, what, even what's left is so great. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, of course, uh, the, the famous story is that Lawrence Kasdan met uh, uh, Kevin Costner on the big chill, right. he cut him out of the uh, the big chill because he was the kid who, who committed suicide. All you see is cufflinks right. now. And he says, but I'm gonna write something for you. You're wearing my hat. What else you got that's mine? Now, I don't want to kill you and you don't want to be dead. You can't be that good. Let's get out! This is a crazy town, Emmett. I think we'll just get out of here. No, no, this is your horse. Can't you see this horse loves me? Making a big mistake. That's what I told him. If I brought a pretty lady like that into a place like this, I'd stay close. I think you got a point, Emmett. Maybe I better stay here with her. Now we're gonna give you a fair trial, followed by a first-class hanging. I had enough of what ain't right. Some people think they can push you around, but it's only true if you let it be. I don't want you to get hurt. You want one of these? This ought to do. Let's get up! Hanging around with you is no picnic. And of course, and he, he wrote sure this role that made him a star. Yeah. I mean, he's so good in Silverado. Um, just fun and full of life and lovable and just um, just great. And Danny Glover is great in it. And Kevin Klein is wonderful. Yeah. And I just, I have such fond memories. I, I remember, you know, most movies I can tell you where I saw it. I mean, I remember seeing it at the Kingsway Movie Theater in Brooklyn, New York with my dad. And uh, we both just we, just, we just loved it. We just had so much fun. I mean, I do remember... It's so funny. I remember saying, yeah, the town looks a little cheap. It's like, he says, you know, they didn't build enough of the town. But, uh, but uh, you know, it's like, he said, back in the day, they have all these great Western sets. And it's like, said, I don't know about, but but we just we just loved it. And uh, and so, you know, my pick uh, for, for this will be, and I thought about Slapshot, because again, my dad was the kind of guy who would have be reading the sports section while he had the hockey game on the radio and the basketball game on the TV and all at the same time. And it used to drive me freaking crazy. I'm like, how do you even pay attention all at the same? But he somehow was like able to process it all. And uh, I, I just, I don't get it. But the fact that he and my brother were such huge sports fans 
you know, turn me off to sports for life. But it's why I always say, I know a lot about sports. I just don't like right. sports, right. you know, um, except for rollerball. And um, you're a con- only and, the uh, first one, you're right? A conscientious objector. I've <laughs> exactly, exactly right. But See, I like sports movies. We talked about during the sports movie week. Yeah. Here's my question, and this is actually a little off topic. Then I go to Silverado, but okay, if only movies after 2000 uh, are valid, right? What about movies that were made before 2000 but take place after 2000? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. That's that's really going to bake your noodle. Um, but as far as Silverado goes, I wholly endorse that selection. Um, I, I love that movie. I think, it, as you said, it sort of came out the same year as Pale Rider. And I agree, although I would argue that Pale Rider is really more of a crappy remake of High Plains Drifter, which mm. is kind of, you know, what if David Lynch made a spaghetti western, um, which is a, a hell of a thing to kind of think about and I'd kind of like to see. But but yeah, it's Me like every... Too. Everybody like in that movie is just so charismatic. It's having so much fun. It is the spiritual successor, I think, um, you know, to, uh, to to Redford and Newman, um, you know, palling around and uh, and with uh, as as Butch and Sundance. Um, it's it's very postmodern yeah. in that way. It's a postmodern, but, not... but it it isn't cutting down the tropes. Right. It's 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 honoring them, and and, and it's right. showcasing them. It's enjoying racism with Danny Glover's character, you know, which you hadn't really seen in the Western before, because, you know, the Westerns for as much as we love them, you know, in retrospect, uh, you know, obviously stuff like the searchers is incredibly racist and things like that. But, um, you know, this is the first one where it really sort of deals with like, you know, being an African-American on the frontier and everything. And, um, and it's, it's such a, a really, um, uh, terrific, uh, terrific movie. And of course, the prerequisite for any great Western is a great score mm-hmm. and Bruce Broughton's score for amazing. Silverado amazing. is amazing. It's, it's just a great, great score. Like Elmer Bernstein's uh, Magnificent Seven, you know, like a lot of the great Westerns that have these, you know, the, the Morricone right. uh, spaghetti Westerns, you know, there's so many before Star Wars, you know, before the space operas, there were the horse operas mm-hmm. and the horse operas all had these great scores. And then later the space operas had these great scores. Right. It's a a tall order to make one that is that rich and that, you know, that great, you know, that that perfect for a movie like that. And and Silverado's theme is just terrific. And so funny. Had you not picked Magnificent Seven, I would have gone with Magnificent Seven. That would have been it. So I love that you picked Magnificent Seven. And then all of a sudden I had this epiphany because it wasn't even in my notes, you know, to do Silverado. And I'm just like, oh, Silverado, that's a no brainer. And, uh, yeah, and it's it's funny because the story I was telling you about the Little League with Mark Griffin, you know, my dad sort of, you know, looking out for this guy is kind of similar to the way Kevin Klein is looking out for Danny Glover mm-hmm. in Silverado. So I so maybe somehow that that resonates. I don't know, but um, a, a great movie, fun movie, and and that would be and, my and let's my let's not forget Scott thing. Glenn in an amazing performance as sort of the Gary mm-hmm. Cooper of the whole thing. He's very Definitely. he's very quiet, very uh, soft spoken, but. He gets the job done, and he is the uh, he's the engine that moves this along. See, now, to me, that's you know, another that's another four thirty movie topic. Um, movies you don't know Scott Glenn is in, but he's freaking <laughs> awesome anyway. The keep. That guy is oh the keep exactly. He's always great. He's great in the Hunt for Red October. It's yeah. like you don't think about these things, yeah. but that guy is so good. He's yeah. got so much personality Underrated. and charisma. Totally. I'll tell totally. you. You know, I don't care about the Snyder cut of Justice League. I could care less. 
but I would like to see the Kasdan cut of Silverado. Hell yeah. I mean, I don't think it exists, but they, there was so much footage cut from that movie mm-hmm. because there were huge, you know, B stories with, like I said, with Linda Hunt and yeah, and and, and, and uh, Danny Glover's sister and uh, yeah. yeah. And I would just love, I wish that existed because, boy, I would sure love to see an extended version of Silverado because I feel like there's a better movie in there. But you remember, it just hadn't been a really good, fun Western in theaters for years. I mean, the Western was already on the way out. Oh, it was out. It was already out. It was out. And unfortunately, the the response to Silverado, you know, buried it even more. It did not do well. It It did not do well. But I swear, wasn't it within a week of Pale Rider? I think it was. I think it was. I think it was. I think it was that was in '85. I believe. And a Pale Rider is not a good movie. No, it's not. I mean, you know, until Unforgiven, you know, right. most of the Eastwood directed westerns were just sort of pale imitations of the Leone stuff. Right. You know, uh, I mean, Don Siegel did a great movie with him, but like the stuff once he started directing. You know, I mean, but he, I mean, it's the same thing with uh, the Dirty Harry movies. You know, the Don Siegel's Dirty Harry is great, but by the time you get to Sudden Impact and certainly the Deadpool, those movies are terrible. Except, hold on, please. Uh, except uh, the uh, High Plains Drifter again is yeah, High awesome. High Plains Drifter is really good. And um, is Outlaw Josie Wales was also him, wasn't it? Or am I misremembering who directed that? No, I think uh, somebody else directed it. I don't think that was Eastwood, but I could be wrong. Okay. I don't think he directed it. I could be wrong. Uh, I'll tell you what is awful. You, I, I try. I had never seen it, and I watched it recently. The Gauntlet. Oh, Ooh, my God. Yeah. Have you ever seen Have you seen that? Yeah. I uh, watched it a couple of weeks ago. It's really bad. Yeah, it's not. There's, like, basically the, the one cool moment where he's uh, outside, like, the, the roadhouse with the bikers, and he's like, that was my bike, Jack. This is my gun, Clyde. But other than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's it's. Uh, and who can forget uh, every good. which way but loose, dude? <laughs> who come could? on! I mean, you know what? I mean, if there is one genre of movie that I want to bring back in Hollywood, I am talking to you. I feel it's like I now have the career class. I, I want to do monkey movies. The dude. ape sidekick movie. That's <laughs> right, the ape sidekick movie. If I can use whatever cloud I have in Hollywood to bring back one genre, that's the genre. Okay. Man, friend with monkey. I guess that's a that's a Planet of the Apes film too. Is it man not friend with monkey? I don't know. You should uh, uh, p- pitch the uh, Sheriff Lobo Chronicles. So, yeah, okay, right. so now this brings Friday. us to uh, Friday. A lot, a lot of potential contenders. Why don't we see what we can throw into the mix, Steve? Oh uh, yeah, some of my other my other dad picks were. Um, uh, this is a great movie too. The Long Riders, mm. uh, which is a great western about the James Younger gang that starred all these movie star siblings playing characters that were, you know, historical figures that were siblings. So you had the Keach brothers and the Carradine brothers and the Quaid brothers all playing brothers in the film. Mm. And I remember it being a really entertaining uh, and the guest brothers too, I think. So there's like all these brothers, no young guns too, (laughs) but uh, I, I remember it being a really entertaining movie. And he's also, my dad was also a fan of war movies. Although the movies that he, uh, sent me were not World War II movies, which surprised oh. me. He had a couple of mm. Korean War movies, uh, The Hunters, uh, that starred mm-hmm. Robert Mitchum and Robert Wagner, uh, directed by Dick Powell again. Uh, Dick <laughs> Powell raises his head again. And The Bridges at Toko Ri with mm-hmm. William Holden, Grace Kelly. 
Um, he loves those movies because he loves air combat, uh, jet combat, mm -hmm. and he really liked, appreciated the lengths they went to to not use stock footage, but mm -hmm. get real jets up and shoot really convincing uh, air combat. Uh, Does he like Firefox? <laughs> Dude. <laughs> oh, despite the presence of Clint Eastwood, probably not. Um, <laughs> you know what, though? The last 30 minutes of Firefox, if that whole movie had been that, I'm in. Oh, no. I used to rent that from the video store just to watch the last 20 minutes. Yeah. It was like watching Star Wars. The rest of the movie is unwatchable. Yeah. The last 20 minutes are John Dykstra doing the Death Star Trench yeah. and you know, yeah. wherever it was in, in, in Russia. Yes. Think, think Russian. Think the rest Russian. is nonsense. But all the stuff with the plane. Yeah. That was a cool design. I love that plane. Mm -hmm. uh, he also listed Last of the Mohicans, the uh, mm -hmm. Michael Mann, uh, mm -hmm. Daniel Lewis film. It's terrific. Great film. Uh, he, he listed Gettysburg. The, you know, the Jeff Daniels, Tom Berenger, Sam Elliott, Martin Sheen epic, uh, Civil War epic. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, here's one. He didn't even know who our benefactor is, but he loves The Patriot. Mm. Oh, nice. The Dean nice. Devils movies. Uh, with That's great. Heath Ledger, uh, Heath Ledger. He listed A Ride with the Devil, uh, the Ang Lee film that I think Mark and I saw in Telluride. And I remember we met Skeet Ulrich's dad. Uh, in a restaurant for lunch. Remember that? That's right. He's like, oh, my right. son's in one of these movies. Oh, yeah? Who's that? Skeet. Skeet. Are you going to Telluride? Is Telluride still on this uh, Labor Day weekend, Steve Melching? I got an email a week or two ago saying it is on, and they wow. added a day. It's going to start on Thursday instead of Friday, and they're just going to space out the screenings more and, and lower right. capacity. But, uh, you know, given the, the, you know, the curve... We haven't flattened the curve, and the curve seems to be going back up again. So yeah, uh, yeah. I'm skeptical that it's actually going to happen this year. But right, yeah, yeah. We may yeah. go. And and then my dad also mentioned Geronimo, and then a bunch of musicals. He loves musicals. Mm -hmm. He listed Paint Your Wagon, you know, mm -hmm. with Clint Eastwood. Uh, and Lee Marvin. Yeah. And then, you know, he loves Phantom of the Opera, that cheesy, you know, uh, adaptation of the uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber Phantom of the Opera. You had me until Phantom of the Opera, right. Steve. Right. <laughs> and my hey, nobody's lady, perfect. Sound of Music. That right. surprised me, Sound of Music. But my, my dad likes, has a soft spot for musicals. So anyway. Your dad my, and my mom would get along famously. My dad did too. He loved all of the uh, uh, Oscar ha Oscar Hammerstein and uh, and uh, uh, Roger Richard Rogers. Uh, I, I remember mentioning uh, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers was a, fan, a favorite of his. Uh, See, my my dad's idea of fighting Nazis was the Dirty Dozen, not Sound of Sound of Music, but uh, that was just. <laughs> when you want to see that that mashup? Well, right, <laughs> the Dirty Dozen has to get like that family, you know, out of. Let's talk about who was more successful fighting the Nazis: the Dirty Dozen or <laughs> or the, the Von Trapp family singers who who escaped pretty much all intact. <laughs> true very true um, um, oh my god but uh yeah I, I i'm gonna throw in uh, like carousel and uh uh logan's run no 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 the the, uh, the hammer uh, rogers and hammerstein uh carousel and of course uh oklahoma and uh all of those uh all of the the king and i all of those uh sort of uh 50s and 60s uh uh musicals um but of course, he also, uh, you know, he also introduced me to uh, my favorite film, uh, *Adventures of Robin Hood*, but also *Captain Blood* and *The Seahawk* and all those wonderful late '30s uh, swashbucklers with Errol Flynn. Um, and 
basically every movie that I love, it was because my dad loved it first. He went and saw Superman first before me, but you know who he went with? He went with his friend who he had known since he was eight years old in oh. in the in that one town and he he went with his friend to go see Superman because they would read the comics together. And so that was a great that thing. That man was Clark Kent. Yeah, unfortunately it wasn't. But um, Superman. It was, uh, it was really good. And he, he came back and he said, I think you'll like it very much. And sure enough, I did. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> so that's... I would add uh, a yes. movie that, uh, that, Mark, you almost listed. Almost. Um, almost. Uh, the Great Escape. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with uh, with Steve McQueen, my father once again weighs in, and he brings up a point about that movie that, in all the conversations we've had about it here, I've had about, it, I've never really thought about that. I think is really interesting. I don't know why this detail jumps out at my dad. Um, so he says, "The Great Escape is a movie about never giving up." Steve McQueen in a German prison camp for American officers during World War II has his baseball and baseball glove with him, a coping mechanism. He broke out of prison and actually stole a motorcycle and was captured and sent back to prison more than once. The cool thing is that you always see him with his security blanket, the ball, and his glove. Never thought about that. It's interesting okay. that that's the thing that jumps out. It, it, it passes the channel surfing test, yeah. which means if you're changing channels, um, and the Great Escape is on. You watch it till the end. It's yep. one of those movies, and that's a long, yeah, that's a long movie. But right. man, it's so good. Again, Elmer Bernstein score, uh, amazing cast. And we talked about this before. It's, it's great, Richard Attenborough. It's great watching. The old man. It's, it's great watching James Garner seduce the uh, the uh, German the guard, guard. Yeah, basically, yeah, just yeah. as he would with a woman. You know, give him chocolate, and you know, <laughs> it's it's very funny and very. Uh, uh, it's very James Garner, very cool. Oh, you know, it's so funny, too, because um, I saw something recently on social media where some schmuck was observing that this is not a good movie and it's not realistic because the Germans would never allow anything like this. It's based on a yeah. real story, yeah. you yeah. idiot. Yeah. It, yeah, you know, people are stupid. People <laughs> yeah, are stupid yeah. and, and we know, shouldn't and listen sadly, to them. We give them a platform yeah. to be dumb and I reward them for it. I've done a, some, a fair amount of research on POW camps in, in World War II, and, and the, the crazy shit that they got away with in those camps really does defy belief, yeah. but the reality is even crazier than what we've seen in these movies. Well, So the, really, Hogan's Heroes is kind of a, a gritty documentary. <laughs> well, basically, what's, what's missing from this equation that this doofus didn't realize is that basically the POW camps were run by people that the, the main uh, military leaders didn't want in the action. They, right. they, wanted to, they wanted to push them off. And so the people running the camps didn't want to be there any more than the prisoners did. Like Sergeant Schultz. He totally did not want to be there. <laughs> yes, yes, like Sergeant Schultz. But <laughs> I know nothing! I see nothing! Now, but... a, lot of those, a lot of those commandants were, you know, World War I veterans. Yeah. They were and they were from a different era of, you know, soldiers. Well, the gentleman warrior well, as the, opposed the, the, to... The Luftwaffe, who, who didn't really go along with, uh, you know, most of the uh, uh, tenants of the uh, Nazi regime, uh, were put in, in charge of the, uh, of the prison camps. The, and the air camps. Yeah. The air camps, yeah. Very different, yeah, the Luftwaffe yeah. camps. Yeah. 
so. treated the, the the flyers very different. Like you didn't, if you're a flyer, if you're a bomber pilot, you got Absolutely. captured by the You did not want to get captured by the army. You wanted That's to get correct. captured by the air force. Correct. I mean, and Donald Pleasance is the antithesis of Blofeld in this movie. <laughs> you know, as a guy who's going forger who's gone blind yeah. and uh so many great performances richard attenborough the kindly old man of jurassic park right. is agent triple x yeah. uh you know the most formidable and deadly british just you know uh undercover operative and and uh just so many great people you talked about james garner and james coburn yeah. and um charles bronson again and, and, and the tunnel and Stan. Stan oh, and Stan is in there as well. <laughs> still, right. we have Stan. And then there's still we have Stan. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's great. I mean, and I'll, I'll give you a few other picks. I mentioned The Sting. Um, also, um, the another war movie with James Garner, The Americanization of Emily, sure. with uh, James Garner and uh, Julia Andrews, which is more, and J James Coburn, Familiar Faces, which is another comedy. Um you know, any Bond movie for sure. I mentioned Slapshot, I like Confidential. The African Queen is a movie oh, he absolutely yeah. loved. Kate Hepburn and Humphrey Bogart in a very un-Bogart-like performance. Yeah. Wonderful. The movie people don't talk about as much now because, you know, technically it doesn't hold up, but Walter Houston, it's it's just it's just fantastic. John and, Houston. Um, John Houston. Well, oh, I say Walter yeah. Houston. I meant John yeah. Houston. Sorry. Um, and then for more obscure, there are a couple of war movies that I, I don't think I've ever mentioned on the show before uh the man who never was which was about the uh plan uh to uh, basically fool the nazis into not realizing that uh the allied invasions would be in normandy right. so they fake this guy and put papers on him um and uh, have the the, like the uh, germans like discover it, his body a dead body wash up with a briefcase with right. fake Kind of so yeah, it's like then, weekend at bernie's but yeah, like, it kind of yeah. is it's like <laughs> uh you know weekends in alsace lorraine or something <laughs> Uh, but it's 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 really a really a terrific movie, and then a very hard hitting uh, drama, also World War Two, is the Counterfeit Traitor. I don't know how many of mm. you know the George Seaton movie Counterfeit Traitor. This is William Holden who plays this sort of American bon vivant who's like a war profiteer, and the British and the Americans sort of catch him and force him because he's like really friendly with the Nazis and sort of force him to like work for them undercover and uh, because he's befriended all these nazis he's sort of like the anti-schindler and um you know over the course of this he's sort of uh and dealing with this uh, uh resistance uh leader uh lily palmer played by lily palmer he sort of has a change of heart and sort of realizes hey the nazis are bad mm -hmm. and um you know i and he sort of realizes like hey i you know gets finds himself more and more involved in in the fight against nazism right. and it's a really great drama with a great cast and william holden plays a very unlikable character but as always he's fantastic um and uh it has a really tragic sad ending i mean i used to again this is another movie i used to watch i think on channel five or channel nine in new york and uh, I remember when the ending was coming, I always used to like get like uh, uncomfortable because I knew I knew how to end it. So, you know, when you're watching a movie you love and you always think, oh, maybe this time it'll end different. Yeah. And they never do yeah. uh, unless it's Clue. And um, <laughs> it's, it's just a really powerful movie. And I think it's on Amazon Prime now. Mm. Um, so if you don't have the, I don't think Paramount ever put it out on Blu-ray. I think it's just on DVD, mm. but you can watch it on Amazon Prime. It's, it's really good. I highly recommend it, The Counterfeit Trader. I don't think we're going to come up with a consensus on Friday. 
I, I, no, I, I really think, don't. I think this is one. I think this is one should... for the audience to to decide for themselves and think about, you know, their fathers and and you know what their family uh, uh, bring together movie would be. Uh, so, absolutely, and I think they and let us know. <laughs> <laughs> on social media because you guys are educated. I actually care what you have to say. So go on Twitter at 430 Movie Pod and let us know what you or your dad had to say and what movies you're watching at Friday on the 430 Movie because we actually do want to know what you have to say because if you're wise enough to be listening to this podcast, clearly your opinion matters. Unlike that idiot who said that uh, <laughs> movies before uh, the year 2000 don't matter. Just make sure um, your selections are before the year 2000. That's and I want to remind Mind My dad you that, did pick one that was after 2000, which was Casino Royale. What was Royale. that? Casino Royale. Oh, excellent so choice. Yeah. Excellent choice. And, you know, I think my dad might have picked Free Enterprise, except he was always mad at me till the day he died that we cut out a scene. My dad was originally supposed to have a big scene. This yeah. is my first movie. And uh, playing basketball where the guys were awful basketball players. And he was going to come after the, watching them in astonishment at how bad they were and then just pick up the ball and casually sink this, you know, uh, uh, foul shot from center court and make them all look like idiots. But it rained, so we weren't able to shoot it. So he ended up becoming a waiter instead at uh, the club. Yeah. And on the day, we threw him a line just because, you know, he'd come all the way from New York and he was sick and, you know, wanted to give him a line. And it just, for whatever reason, it didn't cut together and we didn't include it in the movie. And I never forget, ever since that premiere, he never let me forget that yeah. I cut his line out of the movie. So uh, yeah. that was that that's, was a mistake. That's what you get. <laughs> that's what you get. I'm, I'm merciless, <laughs> even with my own dad, when it comes to the cutting room floor. Um, but anyway, this was great. I'm so glad we did this. And it's all because of Darren's mother, ironically, that um, we, we, we did this Father's Day episode. It was her suggestion to do Mother's Day last month. And how could we not do Father's Day uh, this month? And, uh, you know, we're all our dads for inspiring us and, and showing us ways for those of us dads now. I can certainly attest to the fact that it's a wonderful thing to be able to share so many of these movies with our kids yeah. and expose them to these wonderful, wonderful films. Many of them made before the year 2000. <laughs> In fact, I'm, I'm very glad my daughter uh, loves black and white movies, That's loves great. them. You I'm know? fascinated to see, you know, 430 movie, the next generation, what uh, your kids choose <laughs> as uh, your movies for Father's Day. <laughs> Well, I know they will be horrified when some critic gets online and says that movies that uh, were made before 2020 <laughs> just don't count. We were talking about doing the 330 movie with our my kids and Caden, Ashley's son, and just putting together a little like uh, thing and, and and doing a kids uh, a kids spinoff of 430 movie. <laughs> so maybe maybe one day, but uh, but anyway. It's so good to get together with everybody. It's been a while. It's been a whole month since we did this. Uh, and uh, we'll be on hiatus through the fall, but then we'll return with season three of the 430 movie. And I'm really looking forward to that. Well, unless we do a special a special edition, maybe we do uh, summer movies. A summer movie, uh, movie about summer. Summer, school, Beast, summer yeah. bingo week. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, I think that we will continue to return with these special episodes, but we won't be back on a regular weekly basis probably till the fall. Right. Hopefully we can be back in the studio then, because as much as it's nice to see everybody through Zoom, I miss the Shake Shack and yeah. I miss your smiling faces. Yeah. So um, it, it'd be nice to be back in the studio um, and hopefully that day will come. Um, Someday. So, yeah. Someday. But uh, for now, on Monday, Steve Melching, it's... Dun, dun, da, dun, da, 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 the Magnificent dun, Seven. Dun, 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 dun. 
The Magnificent Seven on Tuesday, Darren Doctorman. It's I've made fire. I'm a castaway. It's castaway <laughs> on Tuesday. On Wednesday, Ashley Miller. Patton. It's Patton. Patton. And on it's Thursday, Patton. it's Silverado. And Friday, it's, it's your up dad's to pick. you. It's up to you. So we want to hear what your dad has to say or if you're a dad, what, what, what your pick is. And you can do that on 430 Movie Pod or visit us at Electric Surge on Facebook, Electric Surge or 430 Movie on Facebook. And meanwhile, if you're curious to watch video podcasts of the show or one of our other great 430 Movie uh, podcasts like Inglorious Trexperts or The Best Movies Never Made, you can download the free Electric Now app available at your favorite app store. That means... You download the app and you can play episodes, video episodes of Ford, their movie and Glorious Trexperts, other podcasts, as well as episodes of Leverage, Librarians, and many other fine movies and TV shows, all for free on your phone, on your TV, on your iPad, on your Roku, whatever. So we encourage you to download the Electric Now app, which is now available in your favorite app story, store, and keep an eye on your podcast feed because the 430 movie We'll return with special episodes until we return from hiatus this fall. But until then, Eyewitness News starts now. This week's episode is brought to you by... Offworld Colonies, a golden land of opportunity and adventure. And by the Tyrell Corporation, more human than human. This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.